welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at the Well. My name is VJ. I'm the lead pastor here and have a bunch of questions for you. Just quick, quick fire. Who do you call if you need help learning how to cook a rib roast in the oven? Who do you call if you want to know whether the new shirt you're going to buy looks really good on you? Who do you call if you're looking to make a big purchase and you got that friend who does lots of research? You call that person, right? Um, Who do you call if you're looking for investment advice? I mean, hopefully you have different people who are experts at different things. I certainly do. Who would you call if you needed directions because you were lost? You already know this, some of you, but you would not call me. You would not call me if you needed directions, except for today and the next four weeks. In fact, it's actually part of my job right now to give you directions, and here's what I mean. We as Canadians, and especially us GTAers, love the summer. You just came out of two months, I know, of trying to be as uh, outside as often as you can, have as many backyard barbecues as you can, see as much of Ontario as you can, travel to Europe. People went all over the place. I mean, we hammer through the summer because we only get two, maybe six weeks of good weather. You're trying to get as much vitamin D, and I know you did this. Um, This is what we do, except that It leaves you at the end, as you arrive in September, in a state of what I would call disorientation. We feel disoriented by the time we arrive at the end of the summer, as in a little bit lost, a lost sense of direction. And you might be like, well, not really. I'm like, no, really? If, if mostly what you thought about every day when you woke up was the weather and the biggest decision you were trying to make every day was what you were going to eat for dinner, <laughs> ah, we may be a little bit disoriented. I mean, it's fun, but man, your sleep schedules have been different. Your routines have changed. Some of you have exercised more. Some of you have exercised less. Uh, we've all probably eaten a bit more and there's all this kind of stuff. Our rhythms have totally changed. And all of a sudden we arrive in September a bit disoriented, feeling a bit lost. Now, add to that, that over the last few years, we have said this many times. Oh, when things get back to normal, or when we start doing what we used to do again, or get back to the way it was. And of course we know now there's no such thing as things being back to normal. There's no such thing as doing things the way we used to do them. So much has changed in our world. Many of the markers, if we can use this uh, analogy, the landmarks of what we use to get our sense of direction, to know which way we were heading, have either changed or moved or they're gone completely. And it can leave us in a sense, in a state of disorientation where we feel a bit lost. Now, the only thing worse than, not, uh, than, than feeling lost is not knowing that we are and hitting the gas as fast as we can to get in a direction. I mean, that's called September. And so here we are. We actually need to be reoriented to get out of our state of disorientation to know where it is we're heading and why. And this is true every fall, I think, but it's really true right now. And so the directions we are going to follow really for the next four weeks go like this. Up, side, down, party. Up, side, down, 
party. Okay, those are the four directions. That's what we're calling or the orientation of how we're going to get our bearings. And what we're saying in the series, the directions that lead us back to community. That we find that the things we need most, the directions we most need to get to is back to relationship with God, or perhaps for some of you for the first time, or back to relationships with each other. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, those of you that are part of this church, you're like, yes, oh yes, that, I need that. Or for some of you who are exploring faith or you're new to church, or this is your first time in a long time, this is the perfect time for you to be here to collectively understand, oh yeah, what does it mean to reorient myself or get undisoriented, that's not even a word, back to the direction in life I need to go, to the things that are most important. We actually are borrowing, or we borrowed, stolen this language, upside down party, from a friend of mine who pastors a church in Winnipeg, and he actually subsequently, after we started stealing the language, wrote a book. I'd like to say we inspired him because we thought it was good, so he wrote a book about it. Anyways, that book is something, if you're new to our church or new to faith or exploring faith, we have a copy for you that's free that we want to give away. Um, If you're not new to faith or not new to this church, you just get to buy the book on Amazon. You can give it to a friend after to read because it's really good. And it'll be a little bit of a loose guide for us in this series. Where we begin today is the first direction, the first place, it's actually the first place we need to start, and that is up. To begin by looking up. And by that, I mean worship. To understand that the first orientation, the first place we face in our lives is to look up in a posture of worship. Now, I know as soon as I say that, that word, if I can say this, it brings up a lot, there's a lot of issues with it, a lot of problems with it. Um, Some of us might immediately think, oh, singing. (laughs) Um, Because unfortunately, we actually refer to the singing time in our worship gatherings as worship, which is an unfortunate um, conflation of terms. But we might think singing, right? Or we might think Wayne's World, right? Oh, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. That comes to mind, we think of worship. Perhaps for some of you, when I say that word, immediately we think or we just kind of feel a sense of distance. God up there and as I'm in like way up there and me down here. That sort of distance in worship. Or if I can say this, the big fat question around worship is, isn't it kind of arrogant and egotistical and unhealthy for God to want us to worship him? I mean, I had that question for many years of my life. Like it's sort of an, sort of an unhealthy thing. If you know people in your life who really want you to worship them, you know that's unhealthy. I mean, kind of try to stay away from them. Um, Isn't that weird that we would relate to God? Like that, doesn't that make God a bit unhealthy and a bit arrogant? We're going to get to that, this idea of worship. And to help us understand what do we mean by, uh, by worship? What is, how is that the primary orientation of our lives? We're going to use a, a, a little book, and it was actually read for you already, um, from, uh, it's a song actually, or a poem that was written 3,000 years ago by King David um, in the book of poetry, in the book of Psalms. Um, Psalm 16. And, um, and we're going to read it as a, a bit of a guide to help us understand, well, what is worship? And the first thing he says, actually, in verse two, two things, two statements about worship, each of which are actually quite profound in of themselves, and we need to understand them a bit. And e- neither of which we think we would put beside, that the, the way they belong together is actually even more mysterious and profound for us. And so we're going to look at it today. And here's what he says early on in this psalm. And, he's, and he's, he's telling us what he's writing to God. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, 
I have no good thing. This is the beginning of this particular song that David writes, and it opens up with these two statements about worship that are incredibly important for us to grasp. The first one, he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. This is the first aspect or statement around worship, and if we're honest, it's a troubling one. See, many of us, when we think about God, we might relate to God in a number of different ways. We might sort of think, okay, God, and we don't say this, but maybe we were taught this way or it just kind of seems to be that way. God is kind of like the genie in the bottle. So if we say the right things in the right way or we show up to the right holy place at the right time or we do the right things, push all the buttons, boom, God, the genie will come out and answer my prayers. You know, I do these things that he needs or say it the right way or do the right things and God will be the genie that answers. Some of us have that idea of, and even if I say it, it sounds crass, but we kind of know a little bit, we sort of think like that. (laughs) Or maybe some of us, God is more like your big, huge football playing friend, Joe, that you had in high school and he wasn't maybe that good at school. This is a gross stereotype. Okay, but I don't even know Joe, I'm just making it up. And he was amazing at football and he was pretty big, so everybody was kind of afraid of him, but he loved you. Like you guys have been friends since grade two. And so Joe had your back and you're like, yeah, that's kind of God. Like he's big and it's always good to be on his good side. And I'm glad that he has my back, right? Might think of God a little bit like Joe, the football playing friend in high school, or maybe God kind of like "Mm, grandpa. He loves you no matter what you do, puts his hand on your head and says, there, there. He always looked at your artwork and put it on his fridge when you were little. And now he's just happy that you show up to family gatherings and he just likes to see you because you can do no wrong. God just loves you and that's it. But David says, Lord, you are my Lord. Well, that's not God as the genie and that's not God as, the, as Joe and that's not God as grandpa. That is God as Lord. And actually in the first century, the followers of Jesus began to say this everywhere. Jesus is Lord. It was common for the, the, in the Greco-Roman first century world to say Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Kaiser, whole curios. And the Christ followers went around everywhere and saying, no, Christos, whole curios, Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this is a scary thing because when we say Jesus is Lord, if that is our utterance of worship, if that is our orientation, it means Jesus is Lord and I am not. (laughs) By implication, I am not. To say Jesus is Lord is to say that the goal of my life or as I relate to God is not about me pursuing my dreams and my plans and my purposes and my desires and my goals and God has my back and hopefully if I say enough prayers, he'll answer the door, the prayers and open the door so I can pursue my dreams in my life. No, it's like to say Jesus is Lord is to say, Lord, I'm gonna live my life pursuing your dreams, your plans, your purposes, your desires. That is a scary statement. It is basically a statement of surrender. (laughs) To which all of you who have not become followers of Jesus, you're looking around going, suckers, like I am definitely not doing that, right? You said it, I didn't, right? It would make you want to check out going, no thanks, I don't want that. You know, yeah, I want God in my corner. But for me to say, I'm going to live my life, my purposes, my dreams, my desires for his plans, I'm out. Just pause. Stay with me on this. See, even for many people who are, would call themselves Christians, we were taught, many of us, this idea that Jesus is Savior. 
He has saved you from sin. If you confess your sins, he forgives you. He died on the cross for you, so you are saved. Your past is forgiven. And you know what? Now you are get to go to, go to heaven one day when you die. Who wouldn't want to go to that great place after you die? We all fear death in some shape or form, and we're wondering what happens after you die. Well, hey, good news. Jesus died. He's going to take you to heaven one day, so you don't have to worry about the future. The past is forgiven. The future is secure, and now you can live your life the ever, the, any way you want. <laughs> Jesus is Savior. But if Jesus is Lord, well, that means now you're living differently in this life. For Jesus is Lord, yes, your past is forgiven, and yes, your future is good and full of joy, but today you live your life in surrender and trust. That's today. <laughs> the whole rest of your life, never mind your past and your future, but right now, today, in every decision you make, whether in your relationships, in your media consumption, in your food habits, in the way you relate to other people, in issues of forgiveness and sexuality and jobs and money, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> to which some people say, mm, I will pass. Or you might realize, ooh, that's the part I don't like about my Christian faith. The only problem is you can't pass because we all worship. We all worship. Look at what David goes on to say in this Psalm in verse four. And it's a bit weird at first, so stay with me. He says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods, to which people are like, yeah, this is why I don't read scripture. Look, there are other translations, but some of it just needs explanation. What he's saying is we all worship. He says, Lord, I'm calling you my God people who run after other gods, he says, I won't do that. And he says, they pour out libations of blood, which is basically, he's talking about the blood sacrifices that, that other people made to their gods. And he says, I won't do that. I'm not gonna worship other small G gods, I'm gonna worship you. And even though today, most of us are not making blood sacrifices to gods made of wood and stone, make no mistake, we are all still worshiping something or someone. There are all kinds of small g gods in our life. And the reason we don't notice them is because they're not inherently evil. They're usually quite good, except if we make them God, we're in trouble. It is good to receive affirmation from other people, but you're in trouble if you make the opinions of other people your ultimate source of reality, the ultimate voice of identity in your life. If you make that your God, if you make sacrifices and live your life in order to receive the approval of other people, you're in trouble. It's good to have a, have work hard at education and get good marks and hopefully get a good job and, and make some money so you can pay for your life. But if you make your marks or your career or your pathway or your paycheck your God, the thing that defines who you are, the thing that you will make sacrifices for, and make no mistake, all kinds of people make all kinds of sacrifices for years and years and years. They sacrifice their health, they sacrifice their mental health, they sacrifice their relationships in order to chase that dream or that job or that paycheck. You're giving blood to it. Small g God. If you make happiness your God, is it good to be happy? Yes, but if you make happiness your ultimate goal, 
then you will move on from a relationship every time it makes you unhappy. You will move on from a job every time it makes you unhappy. And you may leave a relationship you shouldn't leave because you're unhappy. You may get into one you shouldn't get into because you're unhappy. You may leave a job you shouldn't leave because you're unhappy. You may say yes to a line of work that you shouldn't because you're unhappy. If happiness is your God, it will cost you. You will sacrifice to it. You see, we don't get to choose whether or not we will worship. We only get to choose who it will be. You don't get to choose whether you have a Lord of your life. You only get to choose who that Lord will be. And David says, I won't run after those other gods that cost me blood. (laughs) I will serve you, Lord. But why Jesus? Why is Jesus the one that we should call Lord instead of all these other gods, these small g gods. Why is Jesus worthy of worship? Why is it even not arrogant and unhealthy for Jesus to say, worship me as Lord? Why is it not unhealthy for worship to say to God, you are my Lord? Because of the second thing he says, apart from you, God, I have no good thing. I have no good thing apart from you. Now, Did David have other good things in his life? Yes. But what is this? This is poetry. This is like him saying, oh, nothing else matters, right? We sing songs like that. Oh, I've never loved anyone until I met you. I never knew what love was until I met you. I would (laughs) catch a grenade for you, right? Like we're going, it's it's an over the top kind of poetic description where David says, worship isn't just surrender. It's also delight. Apart from you, God, I have no good thing. And here's the thing. If we miss this, if we miss this aspect of worship, we miss the whole thing. And in fact, if we miss this aspect of worship, the aspect of surrender is terrifying. The only reason we could worship God in surrender and trust is because we worship also out of delight. Now, to help us kind of reflect on this a bit because we don't naturally think about worship like this. And maybe if you grew up in church or any kind of religious background, or even if you just had any sort of peripheral connection to it, this is not how we think about worship. So we're going to do a little bit of a reflection exercise as we discuss together with the people around you. I'm going to show you a series of images and you're going to have about two minutes for each image. And as you look, you're going to answer this question. What does this image have to do with worship? Uh, there's no right answer to this. So don't, it's not like a puzzle you're trying to solve. I just want your reactions as you talk with somebody next to you and you look at each image, you're gonna have a couple minutes for each one. What does this image have to do with worship? So those images are gonna be on the screen for you, two minutes for each of them. I want you to have a chance to talk to people around you and think, okay, what does this image have to do with worship? So here we go. We'll take a few minutes to do that and I'll come back.
Okay, I know you're moving quickly here. We'll go to the next image. What does this have to do with worship? Okay, moving on to our third image.
And this is our last image now. What does this tell you about worship? Well, I hope you had some good discussion and some time to reflect about this aspect of worship that we actually don't really think of naturally, but is key. If worship is delight, and that the reason that, um, that this is a good thing for God to invite us to do uh, is because of what it does to us and for us. It isn't just, I'm gonna surrender my life to you, but I'm gonna find delight in you. And I wanna go back over those images because I think each of them in a different way describes some aspect of how worship could be so delightful to us and help us realize, oh, we're doing this all the time, actually. That, that picture of the Grand Canyon is a picture of worship where we are grasping at wonder. Right? Like, what are you doing when you're looking at the Grand Canyon? Any of you have been at any time we see something beautiful, we are trying to take it in. We need more eyes. In fact, many of you now, like if you look at the back of your phone, your phone has three eyes now, and it used to have one. What is that? Three cameras. It's, 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 it actually, in, in the Revelation, which is this apocalyptic picture of what the future of heaven will be like, it's actually a picture of us creatures having all these eyes, which is so weird. It's not weird if we think about saying there's going to be so many cameras because you're trying to take in the wonder. Right, this is worship. When we, no one thinks that's weird for someone to stare at the Grand Canyon for hours or try to take pictures of it or do like, have a camera set up to do like a, a time-lapse thing over hours. Why, you're trying to take it in. This is what it means to worship God, is to look at something to grasp wonder. We all want to see something so much bigger than what we see. And it's like in that moment, are you interested in anything else? 
No, that one image, that one place has captured your imagination for that moment. What about the whitewater kayak one? That is about, uh, it tells me like a personal, immersive, literally, experience, right? This isn't just something you're looking at. This is something you are in the middle of. To worship God is not just to gaze on him and think about his beauty, but actually to experience or share glory. When we worship God in that moment, whether it's singing or whatever it is, like just where we realize somehow that he is with us, that we are in his presence, it's a personal immersive experience. Um, we had someone get baptized last weekend, which also was like a personal immersive experience. Someone saying, I'm experiencing the presence of God in my life. It's not just something we look at, but something we experience. <laughs> what about our, our football fans, our English football fans hugging it out, right? What is that? That is about shared joy, shared delight. That is the, did you see that moment? That's why we worship together. That's when we get to share the worship of God with other people. It's not a private experience. It is personal, immersive, grasping wonder, but it is shared. It's why we worship together when we have seen God work in our lives or in each other's lives. We grab each other and say, did you see that? Do you see him? Isn't he amazing? Shared delight, shared joy. And then the last one, our little uh, kid there with the cookie, that's sheer delight. That's the taste buds watering. That is that focus in that moment of a, of a gift, of something that we receive, that we enjoy. Friends, all of these are different pictures and ways that we can grasp what it means to worship God and why it would be such a good thing, uh, why it makes God good when he asks us to worship him. He doesn't need worship. We do. He doesn't need us to worship him. We need us to worship him because we need to experience it. Look at what David says in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Right, he begins the Psalm with worship and he says, why? because I need to know the path of life. The path of life is, it means Zoe, this path of vitality. You help me find true vitality. You give me joy when I'm with you, joy in your presence and pleasures that go on forever and ever at your right hand. In other words, with you in worship. This is not primarily about a someday, one day, although it will be in full one day, someday forever. But now we taste it as we worship God. He doesn't need this. I do. You do. We do. This is why we worship. This is why it's the most loving thing that God could ask us to do is to fill our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our souls with knowing the path of life, to be able to have vitality, to have eternal joy in his presence and to experience pleasure in life through worshiping him, regardless of what is happening with our everyday lives. But you cannot and should not surrender and trust someone you don't know. That would be bad advice. You cannot surrender, call someone Lord, and actually trust them and live your life following their dreams, desires, hopes, and plans, and purposes for your life if you don't know them. And this is the great stunner of the Christian faith, friends, that God made himself 
knowable. Jesus came to us, God in a bod, God with flesh on, so that we could eat with him, so that we could hear his words, so that we could watch his life, so that ultimately we could know him and eventually surrender to and trust in him. Which is why when Jesus came, he did not say to people, worship me. Instead, he invited them, follow me right? Why? Follow me. He said, follow me. And his disciples who followed him, eventually some of them began to worship him. They followed him first. And as they began to know him, eventually they began to worship him. And his disciples moved from calling him rabbi, which means teacher, to Lord. His own brother, James, moved from calling him older brother because he was literally his older brother. And eventually when he knew him, even James, his brother, began to call him Lord. If you can convince your brother to worship you as Lord, I'm pretty sure you are Lord. (laughs) This is what happened. Jesus doesn't command us, worship me. He says, follow me. Which means for all of us, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you're really going to worship him and experience not just surrender and trust, but the delight and joy and vitality and wonder and the immersive personal experience that comes with worship, you have to know him first. And so this is the perfect time for us to begin to do that as a church as we come back together in the fall. And here's a few ways that you can and you are invited to follow him to get to know him. One is we are going to read through the gospels together this fall, starting October 3rd, using a version and the Bible reading app on a plan um, for the New Testament in a year, which is basically the life of Jesus and then the life of people who wrote about the life of Jesus and the history of the first church, the first community of followers of Jesus. And you're gonna do that in your sites as the King site, as the Bolton site, as the Vaughn site. And you're gonna get a chance to do that using the YouVersion app. We're gonna send out instructions for those of you that have never done this before, but it'll actually be community reading. And us as pastors will be writing uh, little devotionals that you can follow along in those, in that daily reading app, just to help guide you a little bit to, uh, as you understand what you're reading. But we're going to begin with the life of Christ in the gospel of Matthew. That's starting October 3rd. So you'll have time. You're going to need to sign up for that. You need to get the, you can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Um, it's Android. It's Apple. It's all of that to actually get to know Jesus together. You're going to have a chance to post for each other in your group, senior highs and junior highs. You're going to be doing that together with your own groups um, to, to, to actually, that's that whole shared joy thing where we hug it out together. We say, isn't Jesus amazing? We post or we post our questions, the things that we're learning together. So that's one of the ways you're going to get to know Jesus this fall. Um, secondly, we have our home groups that are starting up. Uh, in all across uh, our three sites, uh, kind of all over the GTA, you'll be able to sign up for a home group. You can be coming back to a home group if that's uh, something you've done before, or if you haven't, you can sign up on the well.ca slash home dash groups. Those will also be starting the week of October 3rd, and they'll be running on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights. We might have some other nights, but you can sign up saying, here's where I live. Here's the night that works for me. If you've never done this before, and you'll be placed in a home group. These are people you get to do this. And our home group follows the upside down party rhythm. Our first night will be an up night or probably be a party night. We do multiple parties in home group semesters because of course that's the best night. Um, but that's that, that liturgy, that posture, that orientation that we use together, directions. You're going to see that in home groups. 
And finally, for those of you that are just exploring faith or new to faith, you're trying to figure out, or you have questions, or you have people who are alpha. We're, we're running live alpha groups the same time again, starting the first week of October in King, in Bolton, in Vaughan. And so you can invite people, or if that's for you, you'd be invited to do that, to actually be able to explore questions of faith with other people together to slowly, at your own pace and in your own way, get to know Jesus, because you cannot love and surrender and trust in someone you don't know. And so those are three ways that you can connect and get to know Jesus this fall. And I'm so excited for that. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, author of the Narnia Chronicles, that puts this whole thing into a, a beautiful perspective once more. He's talking about uh, relationships. He says, to love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest or than the person I love on earth, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased which is to say this, I am so excited for you and for me and for our church to look up again or for the first time, to learn to follow and surrender and trust and love this God as first in our lives. The result of which is that everything else in our lives is made more beautiful. That's my prayer. That's my hope for us this fall. God bless you.